0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and today we're doing a podcast called What is Expressive Individualism? Uh, Nick and I often use this phrase or term. in a lot of podcasts i mean we'll just mention it and say well isn't that like expressive individualism or or something like that so so we're often mentioning this and, and i don't know if we have really gone into into depth into what this actually is and what it means and uh um and so that's what we're doing here today um is we're going to just kind of talk about uh, the the basics around expressive individualism um because I know Nick and I are planning on doing some more, some more podcasts around this, this, uh, this idea of expressive individualism, and so um, it would be good if, if everybody had a baseline understanding of what this means and where it co- comes from and how to think about it and what and and then how to think about these ideas biblically, and so um, that's that's going to be our goal today. Um, so I guess I'll just get started. Um, right out of the gate, with just asking the basic question of uh, what is expressive individualism. So, um,
1: there's a number of different definitions people have given for it, but um, let me give you. Let me try to give you a couple here. Mm-hmm. So the way um Carl Truman defines it in his book, The Rise and Fall of the the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self is um, expressive individualism, that each of us find our meaning by giving expression to our own feelings and desires. And then he goes on and ch- quotes Charles Taylor. He says, for Taylor, this kind of self ex- self exists in what he describes as the, quote, culture of authenticity. So culture of authenticity is very similar to expressive individualism. Right, mm-hmm. and he says, he, which, which Taylor defines as follows: the understanding of life, which emerges with the romantic expressi- with romantic expressivism, in the late 18th century, that each of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity, and that it is important to find and live out one's own way against and against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from the outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority Mm -hmm. so this is the idea that like every person has their own fundamentally personal and utterly unique internal human experience of life and therefore the most fundamental human right and responsibility of authenticity is to express it Mm -hmm. and that's our that's our most fundamental responsibility
0: right if there's such a thing as responsibility Right. Yeah. So, I guess w- with that definition, I would I, I just thought of this right now and and I've wondered this is and maybe there's an answer for this. But do you think that expressive individualism was came out of postmodernism or postmodernism came out of expressive individualism?
1: I think that they both came out of the same series of thoughts, right? But yeah. I think that um I don't know. I mean, I don't know how I would say that. I guess I would say they're fairly contiguous because so like the phrase expressive individualism was coined by Robert Bell in 1985, based on some research that he did. And so that when people started using the term postmodern, it was it was sort of after that, but also postmodernity is often connected with like the 60s and that era too. Right. So I think that I think it's better to understand that. Um, romanticism and modernity created postmodernism and expressive individualism. I do think I, I think you could say expressive individualism is one form of postmodernity. So I think in that sense, mm-hmm. logically, postmodernity so, precedes expressive individualism.
0: Yeah. So I, I feel like, okay, so so when you bring up romanticism, I, I'm I'm also reading, I'm almost finished. I got it maybe. 40-50 pages left in, in the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And probably the most difficult part to understand for me for some reason was the the romantics and romanticism and how that played into expressive individualism and so i guess may, maybe that should be kind of where we start is i mean because a, a lot of these terms are going to be useful for people to understand as far as understanding expressive individualism as a whole and so do you want to explain what romanticism is and its relation to expressive individualism and i know that these things this gets confusing because um not all romanticism is like it is bad or wrong i think this is where i started i started to get confused so i guess just go into that yeah
1: um yeah so listeners who heard the episode we did previously with andrew clavin on his book in the romantics clavin said that like you know the romantics are all over the place i mean they're all ro- they're all romantic in one sense but they're they all come to very different conclusions especially through their lives right um
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I think what is Like a good baseline though is is that for for a lot of human beings, especially in the West, there was this idea that every every well-ordered human life starts with Athens and Jerusalem and moves forward. So you start with like all that human beings have like come to try to experience before you and understand before you, so that you can understand that and then build upon it yourself. So that you're formed sort of under the statues of your forefathers and mothers, right? And that you receive what comes before you like most immediately from your parents, right? Mm-hmm. But like it stretches like f- far beyond that, right? And that therefore the most fundamental reality about you is that you are like everybody else. You are like everybody else. You're a human being. Mm-hmm. And you exist in this relationships with other human beings, of, other, of people like everybody else. And this idea, there was this fundamental idea of universality, right? And so romant- romanticism essentially um, believed that as people tried to take that knowledge from Athens and Jerusalem and wherever else and like make a society out of it so that people could grow up in that society and that society Mm -hmm. could be a positive formational community, that that process was corrupt and was inherently corrupt. And therefore it was corrupting. So so there's essentially two views of children, right? One is um, I think maybe it was Hannah Arndt. I think maybe that said um, every Every generation's civilization is invaded by an army of barbarians. We call them children. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, one view of children is, like, they come into the world as basically, like, barbarians. Like, their software needs updating immediately. And the reason and purpose of the human family is to take right. these, like, completely unformed, uncivilized barbarians and turn them into civilized human beings that won't destroy our civilization, but instead will benefit from it. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's the non-romantic view of children, right? And that's the that is in some ways the view of children that like mm-hmm. Christianity and ancient Greece and Rome and most human societies fostered. Mm-hmm. I mean that that would be true in China, Japan, Korea, like mo- like most human societies, most tribal societies yeah. had some version of that, right? Children have to be formed into adults. It's our job to do it based on preceding knowledge and experience passed down through generations and formed in society. Mm -hmm. Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau was one of the first people who made very this idea that like, no, the savage or the person without human society is the most likely to be authentic. And the person most formed by society Mm -hmm. is the person most likely to be utterly corrupt, unable to express themselves or know who they are because they've conformed. Right. Society has forced them over and over and over again to conform themselves to society. And so they really didn't get a chance to develop themselves. And the, probably the most noble version of this was taken up in American history by people like Thoreau, where, you know, this idea that like spending time by yourself, like making sense of yourself, understanding what's really going on inside of you is important for your self-development which i would say that's true right but expressive individuals is much more do than you that think it's like that, that that's all there is
0: yeah do you think that um uh okay so so i'm thinking do do you think that romanticism is kind of Or i guess what ro how do you say his name Rose, Russo. Russo. Uh, Rousseau, Uh, do you think that he was like a like totally like okay? So it's it's all nature, um, and like who you are is in your nature. It's it's not who you're nurtured into, you know. Because there's always the argument of nature and nurture, and so it's all who. who you are and who you're supposed to be is all in your nature, and, and like you're saying, if you grow up into that without any any external pressures to be something else, then you're going to grow into who you should be. Um, so, so they're they're very. He was very like like a like who you are is in, is is in your nature rather than you don't know, grow into it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think. I mean, Rousseau lived in a time where people were thinking of human children a little bit more in terms of blank slates rather than um, born evil, right? Uh, So, I mean, the Christian view, obviously, is that human beings are born in the image of God and broken in the condition of sin and that both exist simultaneously. Now, practically speaking, what parents often... Mm -hmm. Will say, is, is like kids are born evil, right? And so we've romanticized children by saying, no, they're born good, right? When in fact, <laughs> neither is true, right? It, only right. by itself, right? They are, they have incredible potential made in the image of God. There is inherent goodness in them, in what they are, but they're prone to selfishness mm-hmm. and evil, right? And so we have to work with both of those things. So Rousseau believed that, um, that he, like his, the famous quote is, men are born free, but are everywhere in chains. Right. So Rousseau believed this idea that like okay. society, in a sense, enslaved you by forcing you to conform to its norms. Right. And so the, the best thing for you mm-hmm. is to not have to face that. And so he had this idea of the noble savage that the person outside of. Now, now in one sense, it's important to recognize Rousseau didn't like believe that any human society was bad. What he believed was, is that society perpetuated itself in its own desires and so, like, for example, one of the reasons why he believed okay. that savages – he would have called them savages. So, like, like take a Native American tribe at that time in the United States that was basically, like, not even in the Iron Age, right? And the, they're living technologically the Paleolithic age. People die – you know, most kids die before they're five, yeah. like but, – but he, like, he he saw that as, like, an idyllic life, partly because I don't think he ever traveled to one. But he, the reason he he thought that was not because he thought if you couldn't read, that was better. He thought that because – once you build an industrial society, you start like having social classes and educational expectations and all that kind of thing. Then people go through this long process of conformity that takes up every waking moment of their life. Right? You have to conform to being a husband. You have to conform to being a father. You have to conform to being a gentleman. You have to conform to being a blah 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 blah, blah. And like your whole life is conforming to all these different Didn't social patterns all these and constraints. Things? What?
0: Didn't he write, like, didn't he write all these things down? Like, did you say he doesn't like reading and stuff like that? He like, I'm not saying he doesn't like 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 doing it himself.
1: No, what I'm saying is, is like, when you come into a society, societies are fragile. And so they perpetuate themselves by expectations they put on people. And those expectations you may or may not like. And so like, and so he was a, he was like like a French gentleman. And so like, he was expected to be a father and a husband and a, and a scholar, and all these kinds of things, and like, frankly, he didn't do any of them. He wasn't a gentleman, though. He like though his social okay. class was that he was a gentleman. He like abandoned all of his children. He was mm-hmm. a terrible, a terrible father. He rejected these roles because he thought they were necessary for his self expression, okay. which to him was a writer and a philosopher. Right. So he he actually lived expressive individualism okay. by rejecting all of the things we would call social responsibilities or duties to others. And demanding that he live his life in accordance with what he thought was best, which is what he did. And most people then look at his life and say, this guy was a terrible person. And he was. If something other than expressive individualism is correct, if expressive individualism is correct, then Rousseau's Jesus.
0: Then he's a great.
1: Yeah. Which is why I think it's so fundamentally important to recognize Um, that expressive individualism is completely wrong. Because Rousseau was a terrible person. And if we imitate him, so will
0: we be. Right. Yeah, do you... Yeah. Well, and and I'm wondering... Okay, so I think obviously... We talk about the romantics, but I think that you mentioned that expressive individualism kind of like that term was was coined in the night in 1985 or in the 80s, somewhere in there. And um, we kind of have to go back further, though, to when this idea actually began. It wasn't in the 80s that this idea um, came about. Obviously, Rousseau and the romantics, they were long before that time period. So when when exactly did this philosophy start coming uh i guess i mean when did it come to be i mean was it hundreds of years ago was it like a 100 years ago was it like 40 years ago i mean, obviously not 40 yeah. but when did it come to be
1: yeah i mean you'll find versions of this in all ages of human writing like there were there were always people who were like hey we should live how we feel right um th- yeah. there what, what what we're really looking for is the tipping point in human society or where the immune system against this breaks down. Because, like, there's never been a human person that didn't want to yeah. do whatever they freaking wanted to do and, and say, I'm just expressing myself, you know, right? and define their own reality. I mean, like, yeah. that, in that sense, it's it's this goes back to Adam and Eve, you know, um, and maybe earlier than that to Satan, yeah. right, and his fall, right? But, like, it, but if you ask yourself the question, why did so many societies throughout the history of the world not fall for this? Right? Right. And so a a lot of people, I mean, I think in one of Ben Shapiro's videos on the sexual revolution, I I think he gets this right, and of course he gets this from lots of other people, is in some ways the pill began to make this more technologically possible. And a Catholic author would correct you and say, not just the pill, but the pill in coordination with legal abortion, because the pill doesn't always work. And so yeah. if you want to control, because what's the most needy thing in the world that keeps you from your expressive individualism? And the answer is not your wife. It's your wife's fertility. Yeah. Right? When you make yeah. other human beings and you pass on human life to a new generation, you basically are allowing yourself as a natural resource to be exploited so that you can you can feed that into the other new resource that is children or the new humans right and within that is this acceptance that like I'm gonna right. pass like I'm gonna give myself to this other person you're like well why would you give yourself to the other person and part of the answer is because because I can't last forever like I'm gonna die and so mm-hmm. if I don't pass on my life to another generation, right. Yes, I'm going to be exploited for their good, but I'm going to die anyway. So, like, my brother wrote this short story years ago where he imagined a world in which everybody had a certain kind of um, technology that made them basically never age, like Tolkien elves or something like that. And the way the laws of the system were set up for environmental reasons is that if you had a child, you had to give that child your mechanism. And then you would die.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Right? And so there's this couple that's having a baby. And it's like, well, whose mechanism are you going to give to? And in that society, of course, you couldn't even get a job until you were 95 years old because so much time was culti- was spent cultivating a human person because you would live forever for hundreds and hundreds of years. You weren't even really worth anything to a company until you right. were like in your 90s. And so like this child that was just yeah. w- like, so it was kind of an interesting sci-fi reality. But the idea is, is like,
0: right. if
1: you die you have to pass everything on to another generation or humanity stops. But what that means is you have to give yourself up yeah. in order to do it. And that's the thing that Rousseau was unwilling to do. He was willing to give his genetic material, but he expected somebody else to impart humanity to his children, which is what it is, which that's what yeah. expressive individualism is always doing. They're expecting somebody else to create the conditions mm-hmm. in which they can quote, be themselves and flourish. That is essentially they're thieves. They live right. off of everybody else's,
0: dude. Yeah. And did this become more accessible um, in our time period because of the way that that I mean, I mean, I, I can imagine part of part of the reason, kind of like what you just said, was the A reason big part why was technology. You know, five, yeah. six, hundred years ago. Yeah, technology, and and so, um, and and the way that we live, and like the things that we have, and the way that we're able to just kind of we can't and a lot of in a lot of scenarios like we can really just do whatever we want and like you know so i guess how did the technological revolution uh you know even even further advance expressive individualism into kind of the the main philosophy of the 20 of the of at least the like 2010s and on i mean it's like the biggest thing now so
1: yeah yeah well i mean in some ways like evils come from other evils, right? So like one of the reasons, so like why did, Why could yeah. Rousseau behave the way he did? And the answer is because of the evil system of class in Europe. Because, Because Rousseau yeah. as a gentleman already lived off of the backs of other people. The idea that he would, so he was already behaving in what I think you could argue was a humanly irresponsible way. He was living off of the work of others. He was already a thief. And so this idea that he would live morally as a thief in more ways yeah wasn't crazy right like the, the european being a european gentleman was no longer about the aristocracy of ability right yeah. in many ways it was about the aristocracy of like lands and titles and ancestors yeah um right. and so um there was this joke that like the british people knew the pedigrees of their bulldogs better than their bibles you know yeah. because like your pedigree was all that mattered Right. Right. So certainly to God doesn't matter, you know? And so like, so, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, why did we, why are we destroying gender in like, you could say, well, because if you go back before feminism, maybe the relationship between men and women was bad and men weren't really playing their part. And so there was a rebellion. Right. Right. So like things come from other things. Right. But, but like one of the things that made the 1950s, 60s, 70s kind of special and the ability to like change profoundly is... The philosophy was already there yeah right people had popularized the the beginning concept because most of like the heart of se- of expressive individualism is going to be the sexual revolution
0: mm-hmm.
1: right because as psychotherapy makes sexuality the heart of the human person and freud invents the idea of of um, sexual identity or sexual orientation and sexual expressivism as that becomes like in vogue in modernity especially in europe and then in America, right, you get this idea that like expressing your sexuality is the most important right. part of expressing yourself.
0: And to right? clarify real quick, the, the express uh, like the sexual revolution. I mean, I, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you're just talking about 1960s. Like like as far as we know, like we're still in the sexual revolution and we're probably in a much more intensive piece of the sexual revolution. Correct. Like well, this is not just something you can. we're living under and- the.
1: So like revolutions try to take over peoples, right? Yeah. So we don't don't live in the sexual revolution. We we live live under the tyranny tyranny of, right. We live under the tyranny of the sexual revolution. The sexual revolution won and it's been treating us as slaves ever since
0: sure yeah right that's yeah 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 yeah. okay so okay so there's gonna be young people i know there's gonna be young people i mean including myself when i first started hearing and thinking about expressive individualism who maybe they're listening to this right now and they're like hold on you know what's wrong with expressing who i am and being authentic to myself because that's all like i even like i i consider myself to be like somewhat rebellious against what everybody else does. But when I was in high school and as a a younger kid, like I thought about that a lot about like, I don't want to be controlled. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I, I want to be who I am. And I don't want anybody, you know, it was so like, and then as I researched and started reading these things I was like wait a second I've basically lived my whole entire life in this mindset even thinking that I was unique and not going and I was going against the grain I was mm-hmm. still doing what everybody else was doing it was just expressing itself in my sinful way rather than the next person's sinful way and so wh- when somebody's listening to this and they're saying why is it wrong to want to express and be who you are and have your own identity and, and yada 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 like I mean what, what why is that well, one, is that a sin? Is expressive individualism, is that the, a sinful mindset? And if it is, why is it a sinful mindset? What 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 is it in contrast to the biblical mindset of identity? Yeah.
1: Um, okay, so I'm going to answer the question first. Is it a <laughs> sinful mindset? Yeah. Is that best? Um, yeah, yeah. So um, I would say if I had to just say yes or no to that question – Cause I I prefer to say like, it's a foolish one and a false mindset that will inevitably lead one to sin rather than to just say it's sinful because first of all, because of how people emotionally react when you say that, you know, you just say, well, it's sinful and they're like, well, you you know what they think is, I don't want to go through the process of actually showing why it's wrong. I just want to say it's sinful and people should just believe me and that's all there is to it. And that's not the case. I mean, I could sit here all day and deconstruct this crap you know yeah um so um, Do you think but yeah what, what it does is it what it does is it creates a highly narrowed view of the human person it takes the whole view of the human person and basically reduces us to wills
0: but don't you think that it's it, it is like what expressive individualism is is selfishness isn't that just like what it is at its like at its, I think, at its
1: core i think if you try to give expressive individualism the supreme benefit of the doubt, which is does not deserve in the highest possible sense. And you narrowed it down to like expressive individualism is the willingness in the face of all of the pressure outside of you to conform to say, I am a unique individual self in some sense. And I should not sacrifice that to the society or the religion or the group of people I'm a part of. But in order to live authentically, I have to include the uniqueness of the self. Maybe you could even say God has given me so as to really be the me that I am. Yeah. Now I could, so I could put a version of that together with which I would say is Christian or correct or right or psychologically yeah. valid. The problem with it is um, expressive individualism is almost never framed that way. And the question yeah. is, um, it, How do you understand that in relationship to everything else that's part of your humanity, like your embodiedness, like your embeddedness, like your et cetera. And what happens is is that people have a terrible understanding of those things. And because of that, it goes, this thing goes like turns into rabies really fast.
0: Right. How are you even supposed to know? I've wondered this because that, yeah, that is true that you're, there are pieces of you that God did create uniquely and that you should let that flourish and and whatnot but i mean in in a world that's completely like 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 we're living under the tyranny of expressive individualism as a society and you see everybody living out their own uh, expressiveness and their own identity to to whatever measure that they desire how can as how can us christians i mean we're steeped we're probably steeped in this way more than we even understand as well how can we actually know What are the unique ways that God created us? And then what are the things that we just want to do that we we convince ourselves that God created us this way, but he just did not, he did not create us this way. And we just want to express our, our identity. Yeah. So expressive
1: individualism, if it isn't linked to a Christian anthropology, a Christian view of what a what a person is. And of course we did a bunch of episodes on Christian anthropology. Right. And, and this, this came up in that, as we talked about it, because there's this, there's a conflict there. Right. Then as you understand a Christian anthropology, what you understand is, is that a number of things. One is you're a lot more than your will or your internal expression of the self. But part of it is like expressive individualism as a secular ideology has no view of sin. So it doesn't, it doesn't have an idea that says, Hey, not everything that comes up inside of me is good. Or is me, right. or maybe there's a number of different me's, and we shouldn't be keeping all of them, <laughs> right? Um, one one example of this is almost every kid who goes through their early life is going to have some form of trauma, um, uh, that it that is an event inside of their mind psychologically that creates disassociation. Yeah. So their mind stores that in different places. Well, the minute that happens, there becomes an, a disintegrity of the human mind. Well, then, what do you do with these? disassociations do you just say well now i should just express them all so like if you have like five different voices in your head about something should you pay attention to the voice of anxiety which is the voice of a seven-year-old version of yourself that is really scared because of certain experiences that you had is that an authentic you that should get full expression and so therefore if you have a life in which you have a number of these dissociations are all of those little versions of you and what's that going to proceed into full blown, multiple personality disorder? And if that's the case, do you have a moral obligation to keep all of the multiple personality? Like this gets really crazy, really fast. Right. If you think about I it mean, have you- from a, from a, an ideological perspective and, and everybody has experiences yeah. of disassociation, right? It's so like on the most yeah, simple psychological level, it's unworkable. But in addition to that, you just sin, like you're, you're not a holistically good person inside. And if you don't have a method of differentiation, differentiating the inside, you can't do it. An expressive individualism does not admit a method of that because it is inauthentic.
0: They, I don't know. You probably haven't ever seen these, but what you're just saying about the multiple personalities, um, I mean, and people might not like this. but. Ben Shapiro does uh, reacts to TikTok videos sometimes, and and sometimes they can be funny. But so I mean, he he reacted to one, and I remember it because there's this girl who was like explaining all the different like factions of her mind and she Mm -hmm. was she was like this is my my like sexual faction this is this and and this is my traumatic faction this is and she was explaining it as if she had multiple different personalities and Mm -hmm. she was letting them each express themselves at different times and she was a different person and they had different names it was very very i mean it was very messed up but like that seems to be like the the you know one of kind of what you're saying and that's not even like and that and that's like praised. I mean, she was getting. I mean, praise from people. I don't know. So it's just it's. it's yeah, interesting UB, that UB you you, right? Up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but
1: like I mean, most psychologists, even now, even ones that absolutely believe in expressive individualism, right? So like everybody believes in expressive yeah. individualism, except for in their field, you know. And so, like the average yeah. psychologist would say, okay, so parts of psychology says that these parts are there, and we but we need to bring them into integrated union with each other. Otherwise, you'll become increasingly sure. less a self, and you will just you will contain selves,
0: right? Until you are Would you be multiple personalities. Wouldn't this be like yeah? Multiple personality when, they, when it's full
1: blown, it could in theory go that far, where yeah. where these personas or parts begin to take on more complete personality types. And, um, and you could, you, you get there, but, but like, it's important to recognize though, that part, what parts of the psychology says is that virtually all of us have these dissociations. Like when you get anxious about something and you're like, I don't know why I'm anxious about this. Right. Part of psychology says, well, cause there's a part of you, that's not a full blown mm-hmm. person, but there's a part of you that's like, I don't like this. Right, and it's stored in a nonverbal part of your brain, and therefore mind. And so you're in conflict with yourself because you have multiple parts. And like, I mean, I think that's true of me. Like, I read that, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. That's, but I still think that like, my goal is not to find that anxious part of me and just give it as much expression as possible. Right. My goal in counseling is to give it enough expression that I understand it and can integrate it with myself. Right. but it's not to give that self its own space inside problem, of me forever right because the point is not to find everything inside of me is... and give it expression the point is to decide based on some right. some outside right. criteria what inside of me should stay and what shouldn't and how I should be formed according to my nature and not in accordance with sin right but all those are external categories that are so, there so would say are conformities. That, are, that will destroy me. And I have to make a decision. Right. Do I believe these external things? Like, for example, God's revelation. Do I believe that's an external thing that can actually right. bring my internal self into a positive conformity so that I can be my individual unique self? Right. Or do I believe all of the external stuff is going to draw me to a conformity that's inauthentic and I won't be myself? That's a very fundamental decision that we all have to make. Right. And expressive individualism says you have to be your internal self. And of course, nobody can do that. There's no such thing as a person who has entirely made themselves. The, the, no human being could exist that way. Yes. Right. Human human beings that are not given external right. inputs die. <laughs> right, because we need nurturing. Yeah. Children need to be held, right. and all of that. Yeah. Like yeah. like some some right. psychologists refer to refer to that as being a reciprocating self. So like a Sawzall is a reciprocating saw, you pull the trigger and it goes back and forth, 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 back and forth. So like the way healthy human relationships function is we're always going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with everybody around us. We're seeing what they're doing and then we put out something from ourselves and then we're seeing what they're doing and like there's this long reciprocating process where we become ourselves within these embedded relationships, right? Well, expressive individualism just doesn't, doesn't see it that way or at least doesn't acknowledge obligations between the reciprocating selves and the embedded personal relationships. And so like, that's the funny thing about it is people who are really given to expressive individualism are are usually like political communitarians. They think we should all be progressives, but they're like, they're not good friends. Because they're like, oh, that person's toxic or that person, I don't really like that or. Right. Because they're because they're what looking do do for an expression mean, of themselves and they end up in codependent relationships or pushing right. towards codependencies.
0: What do you do about this with people like like okay, so all of the modern psychology and therapy, I mean there's affirmation therapy that it's like if you go to therapy, sometimes you're just going there so that people can tell you to express whatever thing that you're it's just a mess. Like, what do you do? How, how, how is a Christian supposed to get involved in it? I mean, is this basically just like a, you have to make a decision. You either believe in expressive individualism and you, and you live your life in, in a, in accordance to expressive individualism, or you believe in the Christian biblical way of, of self-identification, which is more uh, more of allowing the community to form you, like you just have to pick either or. I mean, you you said that this just all comes down to a decision because there's probably going to be young people who listen to this who start to realize that that this makes up a lot of what they believe, even though they didn't even know that they believed it. And yeah, yeah this make, now, like now if you're under if you're under
1: thirty, if you're under thirty, this makes up seventy five percent or more of what you believe. I mean, it just, this is your whole world. This is the whole world you live in and you're, you've absorbed it without knowing it. Right. And yeah. like my, my wife, my wife says it this way. Like she's like, the reason why this is so compelling for people is because they've absorbed it. They didn't know they received it or they don't know they think it. Right. So when somebody from the outside yeah. tells them it's true, they think that right. person right. understands their heart. Right. Like, I don't know if I've used this before on the podcast, but imagine like, yeah, there's this girl who's like 17, 17 years old, right? She's in your high school and you're like really into her. Right. And you get somebody to steal her diary that she writes in every single day and like puts her deepest, most intimate (laughs) feelings into. And you read the whole thing. Right. Right. And then you get it put back like under her pillow or whatever. And then because yes. you want to ask her out. And so you just kind of casually sit down next to her in study hall and you're and she's talking and you're oh. like, yeah, like and so you know, that she like loves I camping with her family like, on the Upper Peninsula. You know, you're like, yeah. you know, what my favorite place is the Upper Peninsula. Like you just basically like yeah. you feed her everything she already cares about. And yeah. she thinks you're her dream guy. And even if you're like right. not nearly good enough to like good looking enough to date her, she'll be she'll fall in love with you. Right. Because like yeah. it's like you're speaking directly to her heart and she doesn't realize that like you're feeding it to her. Right. Yeah. But that that's what expressive, expressive individualism is like we because we've absorbed it just by like watching films and like walking around the world right. and buying things consumeristically and using social media because it's the it's the systems, the not the messages. Right. right. But it's right. but it's it's not even just the messages. It's like the whole all the systems right. non-verbally are all set up for expressive. Like like let's say I want to go somewhere 30 miles from here. I just get my car and drive. Like in one right. level you're like, yeah, well that's a right. car. I mean, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. But what it means is whatever I want to do, I can do like technology has eliminated a limitation yeah. right. and every limitation right. that is eliminated is me right. being whatever I want to be. Right. And some of those right. might be good, but now I have to, I should, I have to decide, should I go to that thing 30 miles right. away or not? Right. Like well, that's,
0: I think there's another reason why this is also very, very compelling for, for young people It. Is because young people grew up in a time, I mean, people under 30 and even 35 or 40, they grew up in a time where it was very, it's very difficult for us, I think, to trust uh, authority and to trust adults because of, I I just think about the divorce rates. It's difficult for us to trust our own parents. And so to, to have to pick between expressing myself in the way that I want to be, that I internally think up and feel compared to like listening to, my parents and elders and teachers and trying to have them for me into somebody who they mm-hmm. believe is the right way to to be. That just seems. I mean, there there is an, a legitimate argument for for the other to be like, I'm. Not, I don't want those people to teach me how to live. Man, right. these people's lives suck too. So right, and, like, and so here's that, the irony
1: of that. There's a huge irony there because if you look at that divorced family. What is the actual philosophy that got those parents to divorce and right. corrupted the authorities? Exactly. And the answer is it's not right. Christianity. It's expressive right. individualism that was embedded. They were, they were living out Christianity. They were living out their marriage. Because right. like why, right. why were they why were they unhappy? Like why weren't they serving each other right. well? They were trying to be happy. Well, in what way were they trying to be happy? Well, not by re- – in a right. reciprocating self, in a capacious <laughs> view of human embeddedness and embodiedness, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What they were doing was they are yeah. trying to like get theirs – Right. Yeah. Right. And express themselves and get right. what they wanted. And it destroyed everything. So because they said they were living by something like Christianity or morality, but they were really right. living by expressive individualism. They didn't know it.
0: Then so this gets more we, complicated. we reject
1: the thing they said they were doing because we're too young to understand what they right. were really doing. And then we embrace the very thing that made them suck. And thinking we're rebelling against them. I mean, let me, let me finish really quickly that illustration about the girl. Right. So here's how I would encapsulate it in one sentence. Yeah. Expressive individualism speaks your heart language because it gave you your heart language. Expressive individualism speaks yeah. – like when you, when you hear – like when you watch right. movies and stuff, you're know, like you so connect with that. Right. And people are like, look, you just got to express yourself. You got to just be yourself. like And you're like, that speaks my heart yeah. language. Okay. It speaks your heart language because that philosophy through all kinds of structures and systems gave you your heart language. And because it yeah. pre-programmed you in a way you never consented to or didn't know where it's happening, now when it speaks that language, you respond almost without – so it's kind of like the Winter Soldier in Marvel. Yeah. Like I read the words and it just takes over your mind. Right. Cause you've been so programmed in it at ages. You couldn't have possibly, like you were being programmed at like two years old when your parents were doing a child centered model of parenting. Like you were being programmed in expressive individualism. What your will mattered more than anybody else's more than your parents, even their love for each other or their individual distinctness as human beings. Although. And then the first, first cartoons you watched and how you got your food and everything. Has been programming so do, you in this ideology.
0: Do you think? So, so, I mean, I mean, the, the big question then for for people who are in these younger generations is: is now okay? What do I? What community do I allow to um, externally, basically, mold me and form me? What, what, like, because there? I mean, yes. Well, here's a difficult thing, because e- even even if, let's so say the divorced parents and somebody gr- grows up in a family of divorced parents and, and, and it's not just divorced families, man, this plays itself out in families that are, um, you know, they're not divorced, they're not broken, but in a lot of ways they are broken and messed up. And so wh- who do you who do you believe? Like, who do you trust? Because, you know, even if you even if you say, OK, I'm going to reject expressive individualism, you kind of gen- then have to reject the teachings of a lot of people in your life. I mean, probably including your parents and including people in your schools and in your in coaches and such. Like I remember I remember this uh when I was in high school basketball. Our coach he said something during practice. He was like, "Remind me to tell you guys something about uh about marriage after practice." And this is very weird because our basketball coach was not a uh, I think he had been divorced several times, and so we, it was it was weird that he was going to have us ask us about this. Uh, and so after after practice, we get into the locker room, and I was like, "Coach, what, uh, what, what, you know, what do you want to tell us about marriage?" And he's like, "He's like, oh yeah," and this is to a bunch of high school boys. He was like, "Don't ever get married. Just have kids, and don't ever get married." And we're like, like, what the hell, what is this guy talking about? I mean, one of the kids on my team was like, not going to, he's like, nope, not going to do that. And then just went back to, you know, changing his clothes. But who are you supposed to trust? I mean, this, this becomes a difficult thing to like, who are you supposed to trust?
1: Well, okay. So on one level, I think it's important to recognize that because we have the image of God, um, even when we have the dumbest philosophy in the world, we tend to be better than our philosophies. Now, obviously this example of your coach is not a good, not a wonderful example of that, but like, you know, like expressive individualism in its purest form doesn't allow for love at all in any way. Right. No, no version of love. Right. Because it is focused on the expansion of the self, which is literally the opposite principle of love. However, you'll still see people who are totally given to the philosophy of expressive individualism do loving things why right. because because even if we have an incredibly narrow philosophy we still are bigger creatures than that we're more capacious beings and so we're going to do stuff and so like we'll have so here's the good news is is that people are inconsistent right and when you have a terrible philosophy right. your inconsistency is actually one of your greatest virtues right yeah. if you have if you had a perfectly good philosophy right. and everything else was right then inconsistency would be bad but anytime you're bad inconsistency is good you know, so mm, I, th- I think right. I think you need to remember that. I, th- I think the second thing is is like this is one of the reasons why Christians have argued a lot about the definition of love, because because th- this is yeah. what ends up yeah. becoming the linguistic fight is what counts as love. What's the definition of love? If you're supposed to love yourself, yeah. what does that even mean? And what does what is love? Because ultimately, um, what the Christian answer is is learning that you are made for love and friendship. In embodied and embedded relationships, to live for the good of others, to making the good of others your own, right? And living in uncalculating relationships of giving and receiving, right? Uncalculated, giving, gracious, receiving. That's what you're for. You're for others. Now Do you think if you understand uh, love that way, then it's like, oh, that's what Jesus is like. Oh, I see. Like I live if I live according to love, I will by all of my practices yeah. be undoing expressive individualism in myself, right? Like right. the, the, One of the greatest expressions of expressive individualism is in the screw tape letters when the demon screw tape says the concept of the enemy, the enemy is, is God in this context, is that my good yeah. can be somebody else's good and somebody else's good can be mine. That doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense. The only way I can have my right. good is if I expand. That's why we eat others. Just look at nature. Everybody eats everybody else and then they expand into it. Now some people say, yeah. "Well, that's not true." Right. An expressive individualist has like can have really close loving relationships. Okay, but there's only two ways they can quote love another. One is they can be better than their philosophy and be inconsistent and so love another person because they don't want to be lonely, or
0: can we say can, can they, we say true love just to clarify that you're saying they can love somebody not in the affirmation sense of love, but in the like sacrificial Christian version of love.
1: Yeah. They can be better than their philosophy. They can be
0: inconsistent and in sacrifice. Yes.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. you Sometimes you'll see a totally expressive yeah. individualist person sacrifice for like somebody who's their friend, right? Because they can't help but have some right. nobility in them relative to others, even though they're living in a really selfish I, way. I- <laughs>
0: I don't think I agree, but I, I don't. Well, I don't, no, I don't no. think they're doing it out of nobility. They're doing it out of selfishness. Because oh, no, I'm going to get to that. Many. Remember I said, I said
1: two ways. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just anticipating. Me. Yeah, right. But, but I think it's important okay. in the in the is that as the as what, what the Apostle Paul called the searing of the conscience. Like, if you live in something that's evil, mm-hmm. it like for a while you'll live better than your philosophy, but over time your conscience gets increasingly degraded and you become sadly more consistent. Right now, the second way that people in this world, you love each other is in the, in the vampiric sucking the life out of others sense that like, you're really just looking for the, for a mirror. And so you, so it's like, it's a codependent relationship of love. And so you get these relationships sometimes in younger generations that are highly codependent. People are really, 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 really into another person for a while until that person quote betrays them Right. That is doesn't make them codependently first. And then that relationship falls apart. They go to an emotional spiral. They fall into a depression and so on. Right. That's that's not love, but it feels like love because you're intensely focusing on another person. But you are intensely focusing on another person because through them you are focusing on yourself. You are trying to expand yourself. By bringing in another self, but not by having a reciprocating relationship with another person who was distinct for their own purpose, who you were making their good your own. You were trying to make them part of your good. And it it doesn't work, right? Right. And so like part of understanding love is understanding the difference between really making another's good your own and having a covenant relationship relationship where you're just looking for another self that's you
0: this is i think this is why women in our culture have been so i mean in a lot of ways used up because women's n- like natural i mean god created them to be helpers and to help and to um i guess yeah just to be helpers and so as part of as part of that i think a lot of women naturally want to help and a lot of men in this culture and society will manipulate that into basically sucking everything out of them and turning them into codependence because a lot of these girls have, you know, fathers who weren't really involved in their lives. Does that make sense? That like that, that because they're they're God created them to be helpers. They're trying to help, but what they end up doing is being a major major codependent and it doesn't help anybody.
1: I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. I, I was thinking, but I was thinking while you're saying that about the question of, because when it comes to accepting expressive individualism as a like as a life philosophy man it almost feels like women have been more susceptible to it than men but i don't i don't think that's true i think it i think the difference is is that when men accept expressive individualism they stay men what? and they just act more yeah. boorish and I think that accepting expressive individualism might be more diametrically opposed to women's nature, which is, I think, what you were getting at. And so it lo- is so much yes. more obvious when they behave in in line Whoa. with expressive individualism. I, I don't think that they may not be at all more, they may be less susceptible to it, but it might be more obvious when they believe it. So then I see that and I go, oh, this affects women a lot too. And, and I think one of the things that, I think one of the things that like, m- m- even if people don't believe in, a complementary understanding of male and female interrelations within marriage i think that there's still this this idea that like um women and men embody human life differently because they're different and that when you have a philosophy like expressive individualism the way it's going to be embodied is going to be as different as their lives naturally are right and and when it comes now if you you're now, if a world becomes incre- more in some ways hus- inhospitable to one rather than the other, then you might see yeah. it affecting – you might see one trying to become more like the other one. And I, th- I think right now there is right. some – I mean obviously feminisms – the sec- second wave feminism was very much this sort of like women can be like men. And yeah. that seemed strange. And third wave feminism right. pulled back on that a pretty good bit and said, no, women should have all the opportunities as men but we are going to do them differently. So women can be leaders like men, but we're going to lead differently. And then it turned out that that was kind of true and kind of false. Like what, what third wave feminists believed was that women would lead differently and it would be better. Because women would be more better moral creatures, is what they seemed to think. And then it turned out no, women do things differently. That's true, but they're just as corrupt as men and just as brutal in a way as men, sometimes even worse. Sure. Right? So, like, okay, that's interesting. And then you get past third wave yeah. feminism and you get to now, and now you literally have women becoming men or this idea that there is no such thing that a woman is a human being that says they're a woman. Right. There was that that Mott Walsh movie came out recently. Right. And like they're <laughs> like, what's a woman? And, the, and the, answer, the answer is somebody who says they're a woman. Right. Until he right. gets to his wife, who says an adult female is a woman, you know. And, but that shows you like yeah. the fundamental difference that like. Did you watch I, it? I did. Yeah. I watched it with my whole family. We discussed it yeah, afterwards. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, it was fantastic. It, but, but, we watched but, like, it. That is one of the, the most obvious examples of expressive individualism running amok. Right. Yeah. That like a the most concrete thing that there can possibly be in human existence besides being itself, which is our engenderedness.
0: Is your the expression the expression of
1: our sex through our being, what we call gender,
0: yeah,
1: is then now believed as arbitrary or not inherent in any meaningful sense. And therefore you define it from yourself. Okay. Like the most fundamental things besides after being a human. You can't define from yourself is your gender because of your sex. Your sex and gender are intertwined. They're not the exact same thing. Gender is, in some ways, the way in which you experience your gender and express it within the reciprocating relationships of human life. I mean, you can, as a person, define gender as not the same thing as sex. But this idea that they could be unentwined is false, right? So if you think of a piece of plywood, it's like a number of pieces of wood glued to each other perpendicularly to create one stronger piece of wood. Right. But the glue that's in plywood is stronger than the wood that's in plywood. And so if you say, well, I'm going to take the plywood apart because these don't have to go together. You actually destroy all the wood in doing it because the glue is stronger than the wood. So like, yes, in some ways, gender and sex are layered on each other, but in our development as human beings and in our existence being as human beings, they are so glued together, so intertwined in their very nature. They can't really be separated so as to not have direct relationship to each other. So it's the fallacy of something that's distinct can be disconnected. Gender and sex can can at least be discussed as distinct, but they can't be disconnected, not honestly. But like the first psychologist who was one of the the, nicest people in the whole movie in that film, right? She's like, this person yeah. who doesn't claims not to be a woman, right? And is a psychologist. And like right. when he, when Walsh says, he was like this, like burly dude, right? He goes, he goes like, maybe I'm a woman, right? <laughs> and it's kind of funny deadpan. Cause you're like, she does. Apparently she doesn't know that he's being funny. Okay. And so she, yeah. and so she says, you know, what would be really exciting is you entering into that question. Honestly, what does she mean by that? What she means is, is that, yeah, Matt, explore your inner self of you as a fundamentally utterly unique individual without relationship to any expectations about you as a human male and do that honestly. And then you can learn to express it. And then you'll be more psychologically healthy. That's literally the definition of expressive individualism. Literally the expression. Right. And in that case, it's the denial of reality.
0: Oh, so, so, so the way that those people in, in the documentary and people who talk in expressive individualism, the way that they talk about gender would that be more similar to the way that we talk about personality, like like ge- does that, they talk about gender as a spectrum? Yeah. I mean, Wouldn't, that was what, that is, was they talking about personalities.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jordan. That was Jordan Peterson's argument later in the film, right? That Peterson argued that like, yeah, that what, we're, right. what we're allowing people to say is difference in gender is really difference in temperament and personality. Because um, you can have masculine women, like my my wife, for example, is kind of a more higher, high, like there's. There's like high and low testosterone women, like like literally physiologically, and they behave very differently. Yeah. So my wife is kind of like on the high testosterone, like like hardcore, competitive. Tom, she was more of a tomboy. She played a lot of sports. Yeah. Um, and she's a heterosexual woman, right? Her friend Jenny. Um, is like a right. low testosterone woman. She's very feminine in the very traditional sense. She's a very submissive wife. She likes foofy things. Right. She's like all, she's girly in all the ways. Girly is girly. Right. And she's a heterosexual woman. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, but they're, they're, but and they're very different. And like, right. But that's yeah. still, but both of those right. women said, my role as a woman is partly to discover my nature as a woman. And then right. combine what yeah. it means to be a woman that I don't get to define with my embodiment of that womanhood, yeah. which is individual to me, which I have right. to sort out in, like in myself. And I do that in relationships with other women, relationship with, in my relationship with God, in my right. community, and with myself altogether, right? And that's different mm-hmm. than expressive individualism would say, no, everything has to come to the altar of the self and be subjected to the will. Right. Otherwise so, you cannot achieve authenticity.
0: So to break it down plainly, um to kind of moving into, into the final part of this podcast, how what is the Christian the explicitly what is the Christian mindset around what is Jesus' teachings around identity? And what is I mean how how are we to think about our own identity Um, or should we even think about our own identity and what does this all mean? Like, what does it mean, um, to be a Christian then in, in, you know, because if it's not about expressing, I mean this, I feel like there's a lot of Christians who, well, I won't go there. Let me just ask the basic question. How do we express our identity as Christians? Like, what does that even mean or look like? And maybe that language isn't good for it because it sounds too, too, uh, expressive and things like that. But what's the Christian way of looking at this? Yeah. In one sense,
1: the entire scripture starts with a, the opposite premise of expressive individualism, right? So instead of saying you are this unique thing, unlike anything else and can define yourself from yourself, we Mm -hmm. start with the first human beings being created in God's creation, in God's image Mm -hmm. and in an embedded, embedded embodied relationship with each other. And that all of those are premises that we don't decide on, that we are given and that are fundamental to our nature and our responsibilities and the purpose right. of our life are bound up in those, right? Scripture also teaches that right. we have a nature, right? Yeah. As, as bears of the image of God, we have a nature that's given to us by God, which we have to discover we can't just define. Now, there is a lot of tolerance in human right. nature in that like we're, we are pr- in some ways kind of malleable but oftentimes not in the ways we wish we were. Mm-hmm. Like our sex isn't actually very right. malleable. Our human being isn't malleable. Our right. temperament isn't, isn't even very malleable, but our moral character is very malleable, right? Our intelligence is malleable. Yeah. Our capacity for development in terms of our ability to do things is highly malleable. So in those things, human beings have always seen as functions yeah. of development. So the human being, one thing that's so interesting about us is we can develop in ways other animals just can't. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So like if you look at the the yeah. greatest hunting tiger in the history of the world and and the, uh, just a normal tiger, they hunt about the same. The amount of difference between them is very marginal, right? right. But if you look at the like uh, the human yeah. being who I don't know lifts the most weight in the world and the one that lifts an average amount of weight, there's a right. huge difference. If you look at the greatest scientist Huge. And somebody who just studied a little science in school, huge difference. If you look at the greatest like right. special forces warrior and the average person who got in a couple mm-hmm. bar fights, huge, like enormous differences developmentally, right? Huge. And so that's true of us morally. That's true Does of that us like to do with occupationally. The- in terms of like our ability to Does take dominion. that have dominion. to do with your
0: like ability. Yeah. Does that have to do like the the fact that there's like scientists and and bodybuilders out there who lift more and then people who are have a much larger understanding of certain things. Does that have to do with consciousness compared to other animals or I'm trying to think about how bodybuilding or could consciousness could play into that. Because it's a physical yeah, right yeah
1: well i mean for for example if you took a lion and you in some way could subject it to a routine of physical development that was extreme like a guy going and working out three hours a day at the gym at 3 a.m right what would that lion look like in a year Would he look like super jacked and totally different than any other lion i think the answer is yes right like part of the reason why all these animals look the same is they do the same thing right and that like if you get if you Does that make sense? They're not consciously
0: deciding to. Yeah. Okay. Right. So like part
1: of it is consciousness. It's our ability to say, can I improve myself? It's also memory. Like we can put things together. And then once human beings got to the capacity to write, we could write things down and we could carry on knowledge explicitly for generations and disseminate it among people through writing. So like there's all kinds of advantages by which human beings are developmental. But also one of the things we don't recognize is intelligence is more fluid than we thought so like you're you can get about 10 iq points dumber we, we don't we actually don't know yet how much smarter or dumber you can get by using your mind it's at least 10 or 15 iq points which is a lot of intelligence but
0: both it could be a lot more uh, smarter or dumber? yes
1: both ways right so if you don't nurture a human being yeah they will have a functional iq as an adult significantly lower than what it could have been And if you nurture a person, I mean, think about it. Why do, why does the average American Asian have a IQ about 10 points higher than the average white person? But then why does the average white Ashkenazi Jew have an IQ, have an IQ four points higher than the average Asian person, even though they're white, but they're Jews, but are they inherently more intelligent than English people? But they are right. And the answer is all these groups have very different cultures. And it seems as though the majority of that difference is differentiation on the basis of nurturing, probably fairly early in life. Right. So you reach and so like a th- even you reach intelligence a threshold, though, right? Is developmental. In fact, one of the reasons why we struggle with inequity. Threshold.
0: Sorry, go ahead. Right. No, I was gonna say you, you reach a, a threshold that's like um you can't you're so are you saying like at 25 years old, though, you can't really increase your – because that's when your brain is really kind of no, developed. No, I think you, you can. not really increase or decrease. You I still think you can. can.
1: I think brain el- so brain, brain elasticity is greatest when you're younger, but it, it keeps going. So much so that there was a study of nuns. I think it, this was in Italy of nuns that there was this convent where almost none of the nuns there had experienced dementia. And so they were kind of interested in this. So they were studying these nuns, and what they found out was – This is my understanding of the study is that they all, not all of them, but a significant number of them had had dementia, but because of their practices of prayer and continual work and all these sorts of rituals and so on that they did, that their brain was like kept regrowing. Interesting. like neural pathways to do and know certain things that they wouldn't have known otherwise so that they were like healing. Their brain was rewiring as fast as it was degrading in a certain kind of way so that the nuns stayed functional and you couldn't tell that they had dementia. Right. right? Like, and you can, you could also see like, cause people are like, well, cause I know some people that believe that the IQ differences in American cultural groups is race. It's just race, which is really scary. Right. But it, that could be true. But Thomas Sowell pointed out years ago that on average, the first born child in a family has an IQ about 10 points higher than the other children and better executive function. Interesting. Meaning they had yeah. better self-control. And both of those are highly correlated with nurturing, right? They're like, what's the difference to the first child and the next? Are the genetics worse when you have your second child? No. The difference is, is when you only have one child, you only have one child.
0: Right. And so it's easier. All right. So <laughs> Okay, so I want to go back. <laughs> um I, yeah, it was we had a little bit of technical difficulties, so it might be a little bit of an awkward transition right now. Um but we're we're back. Um I want l- let's go back to I mean on our prep sheet, you have a couple different let's say a couple different definitions of expressive individualism written down. Um and we kind of only went through one of them. So you want to break down some of the other definitions of expressive individualism. Um, and then we can kind of discuss in what ways the biblical worldview um, either relates to these things or completely denies these things. So let's, uh, you yeah. want to break. Yeah. Some
1: we want to, to try to give people the opportunity to like get hear the hear different definitions that are similar of the same thing. Right. So on page 52 right. of Truman's book, he says this, um, this part of the world of what, Philip Reich called the psychological man, or others have called expressive individualism, is where personal authenticity—that's the—that's mo- the most critical idea. Personal authenticity is found through public performance of inward yeah. desires, and as the most powerful inward desires of people are their s- are sexual in nature, so identity itself has come to be thought of strongly in sec- as strongly sexual in nature. That's one of the reasons why so much of our focus around expressive individualism right now is about gender. And what gender is, and how gender yeah. looks, and what our pronouns are. It's because if your sexuality is a huge part of your inner life, and all of your humanity is now the expression of your inner life by the will into public forums, right? Your inward desires being expressed. Well, it turns out for human beings, especially young ones, a lot of those desires are sexual and related to sexuality and gender Do and you think the expression of their maleness and femaleness.
0: Does that make sense? When I was reading that, I felt like. That there was a bigger, a larger. I felt like it was a big assumption. I understand that sexuality is a huge thing that a lot of young people. That is extremely powerful. It's a powerful desire. But what about like anger? Wouldn't that be up there? Like, is sexuality your sexuality your number one? Uh, I guess like desired express expression. Well, I don't. I don't know if that's true. It depends on how
1: big a definition of sexuality we're using. I mean obviously I think human being is the first, but a big part of that I think is our sexuality and our engenderedness and how we're embedded in right. human bodies that have sex. So and by that I mean have yeah. a sex, not just have sex, right? So Yeah. Yeah. Um okay so um yeah. another way that um he defines this on page 49 of his book is he says um for such selves that is people going in this direction. Um, institutions such as schools and churches are places where one goes to perform, and not be formed, or perhaps better, where one goes to be mm-hmm. formed by performing. Mm-hmm. Um, that view is made kind of popular by Yuval Levin in his book A Time to Build, and a lot of people have picked up on it. That like, um, that for, like for example, yeah. there are very few institutions left where people go there to be made into something. And most institutions now are things people stand on in which to perform. Mm-hmm. So, like if you go back 75 years, if you were a Democrat, you had to say what the Democrat party leaders wanted you to do and you had to be a party man. Right. And same thing with Republicans. Now you have like Bernie Sanders and mm-hmm. Donald Trump, people, some of the most quote popular or even powerful Republicans yeah. and Democrats, and they're not beholden to the party at all. They're, they're standing on the party and performing. Being whoever they want to be and making the party right. conform to them by an act of the expression right. of their will does that make sense and like maybe that's right. good maybe it's bad but it's different
0: interesting yeah you
1: know right. what i mean okay so, um carter sneed who writes on bioethics right. um has written a good bit on this and um in his book what it means to be human he, he like talks he quotes robert bella who was the person who coined the term and he defines it like we defined at the beginning the individual person considered in isolation is the fundamental and defining normative reality. Human flourishing consists in the expression of one's inmost identity Mm -hmm. through freely choosing and configuring life in accordance with his or her own distinctive core intuitions, feelings, and preferences. And then he goes on and says this, Bella identified expressive individualism as a reaction to the more utilitarian version of individualism That placed a greater premium on the net social goods that emerged from the aggregated pursuit of self-interested individuals operating within well-regulated systems of laws. Okay, that's a mouthful, but what it means is this. People would have said in ages past, okay, yeah, maybe you want to just have sex with whoever you want. But then you get illegitimate children and people who feel abandoned, blah, blah, blah. So what's best on net – is that we all agree under a system of laws and social practices on a method of human life where we the most of us get the most. And the the argument was marriage is that. Men get some things, women get some things, children get really important things, society gets really important things. Everybody wins and nobody wins entirely, right? Nobody gets all the stuff that they want, but everybody gets a lot of really important things. Now, That's less than the Christian view. The Christian view is, is no, this is a noble and God-given institution that forms us into what we were meant to be and is for our good holiness and happiness, not just our utilitarian benefit. That was already a degradation. Expressive individualism takes it a step further. Why should my happiness, personal expression, and sense of self be subjected to all this utilitarianism, all these other people telling me what to do? Rousseau is right. I don't sure. have to conform. And I lose my humanity because in all this utilitarianism we lose all the romance. Hence romanticism. Right? Which then turns into so, expressive w- individuals.
0: W- so real quick, w- w- what um what do Okay, gosh, yeah, there's there's a lot to think about here. So but well what is there is there any truth to these definitions? conform to every institution of you know we shouldn't conform conform to everything that is made up of a, a, a group of people right like only to certain things so yeah so there's some truth to it that's like th- this is true we shouldn't we shouldn't conform to some of these things
1: right oh yeah i utter conformity to all things is i mean is wrong i mean th- this is this gets to the point of like that, yeah. yeah but i mean within greek culture there was this idea of like temperance or safrosine this idea that like there were a lot of bad extremes out there now it's not true that like it was essentially the concept of moderation now there's some situations in which moderation is really stupid right like like if if one person wants to build a bridge all the way across a river and somebody doesn't want to build a bridge at all building a bridge halfway across (laughs) the river the moderate view is stupid right but there's a lot of things where you do have to moderate extremes or you're bringing things that seem like opposites together right? And that's a huge yeah. part of life. One of the pro- one of sure. the things that's, that the biggest problems with expressive individualism is that it takes the truths of individualism and the truths mm-hmm. of expression, puts them together and makes them extreme. Or the main. Well, can you
0: name the? Yeah, I was gonna say. Can you name the truths of 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 individualism? What, what, what are those tr- specific truths of, of, I mean, of individualism as it relates to Christianity? Like, what, what are those yeah. truths?
1: The one is not to be sacrificed for the good of the whole is, is maybe the truth of individualism. So, for example, if I, if, if you're a healthy person, right, should, it, yeah. you're, if I cut your body up into lots of parts and use them as transplant right. parts for like 37 other people, I might be able to save yeah. 10 lives and improve the, lo- improve the lives of 20 more people. Right. So in that sense, we could get utilitarianly a lot more benefit by cutting you up into pieces. So why don't we do that? Right. Why shouldn't you submit yourself to the good of the whole? And the answer is because you're an individual. You are you are in that sense, a sovereign being that is not to be sacrificed for the good of the whole. That's individualism. Now, obviously, individualism then applies to. Therefore, you should be able to have economic freedom and marital freedom and right. Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And the is the summary of the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of property was Locke's preceding definition, right? So economic okay. freedom was fundamental to Locke. That was assumed within the pursuit of happiness in the American founding. So economic freedom, the right to your personal effect, the right to form families, the right to civil societies, voluntarily, voluntary unions rather than forced governmental ones, that you didn't belong to a king, right? You were a king's subject. Right you were a sovereign individual that came together in the social contract in union with each other, but you maintained your individual rights. So the founding fathers said, we create a government out of convenience because we can't all individually do all these things. Government has to do. So for our convenience, we convene a government to do certain things. That's very different than we are subjects of the King. Right? So citizen or Freeman was fundamentally different. So, and this goes back to like the English civil war where like, there was going to be like a Catholic king. I can't remember. I think it was I think I want to say it was one of the King Henrys. And they like went and got a they like the Protestants' Letter of Vol went and got a king from another country, put him in place. But when they put him in place, he had to sign an English Bill of Rights that gave the the British citizen rights, including and mainly and firstly the right to keep and bear arms, so they could revolt again if necessary, yeah. and the right to religion, because. The most, One of the most fundamental realities of the individual is I – my conscience is my own. My beliefs are my own. And even though yeah. I might in some ways be forced by the truth to conform to other ideas, ultimately my right. mind must be its own, right? I think there's a bunch of yeah. things in that. Like, and like in, in the Apostle Paul, for example, he argues – he's like even if other people are wrong – You have to respect the conscience of other people because when people betray their conscience, they can't ever obey God because they become pragmatists and you can't be a conscientious person and a pragmatist. And Martin Luther says the same thing. Like when he writes the 95 Thesis, he goes to the D or the Council of Worms and they're like, Luther, like you've got to recant. And he's like, listen, to to recant is to go against my conscience, which is neither right nor safe, right? It isn't right to go against my conscience because I'm committing a falsehood and it's not safe because if I don't follow my only moral compass – I'm going to end up in perdition. I'm going to go to hell. He's like, I can't do it. Right. And ultimately, that's why people often say that Protestantism is what launched individualism in Western societies. Right. And, that, and that so Roman Catholics you, have been trying you, to reintroduce us to right collectivism ever since. How do you? Well, even though there were a number <laughs> okay. of places in Catholicism that were building philosophies of individualism and always had them. Um, Luther created an individualism that was like an explosion.
0: This is this is what I was getting to when I, earlier in the podcast I kind of like briefly said that we see expressive individualism playing itself out in in, in Christians and in America in the modern church. Um, the uh, I we can, me and my friends kind of have have a joke that there's like God told me so Christianity, and then there's also like. Um, the God Told Me So Bible, which is like, it, it, we joke that it's just kind of like a, a a journal that people write in, but the, it's called a Bible. And so whatever they write and they want to, whatever they want to be true about Christianity, they write it in their journal. And then they tell people, well, God told me I have to do this, um, which is God told me so Christianity. And so the the reason I'm bringing this up is because the question here is about about your, um you're talking about, about your convictions and things like that how do you define your convictions? Like at what point are your convictions? Cause there's a lot of young Christians who is like, God said, I need to do this. or I'm doing this thing or blah, 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 blah. And it's just like stuff that's crazy. And, and like, as far as I'm concerned, this is not what God's telling you because it has nothing to do with what his actual Bible says. So how do you define your convictions? Because at some point people in this society, in this culture that's steeped in, 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 um, expressive individualism their convictions are going to be more built upon that philosophy than the actual Bible. So how do you start to discern between the two?
1: Yeah. One of the, one of the poisons of expressive individualism is that it makes people feel like they're more and more psychologically sophisticated when they're actually becoming less and less psychologically sophisticated. They think that because they're expressing themselves more, they actually do understand themselves more when they actually are understanding themselves less. And actually, they're even becoming less as people. Right. Right. And so um, when we actually like try to discern who we're meant to be, like we pursue what Christians call godliness or holiness. It's a personal process in a personal relationship with God. But it is reciprocating back and forth between God's revealed will and his community in which we're embedded, the local church, right? And other, other dynamic human relationships that we're in and our experiences and so on. We're experiencing this reciprocating relationship with all of those things. Now, the question is, well, what is experiencing those reciprocating relationships? That is the self. It's me in my being and my psychological self. And I have to have an authentic relationship with myself. Right. In that sense, I have to be an individual and I have to believe in individualism in that sense. Right. But I also have to believe a bunch of other things about myself that are also true. That is, I'm limited by my embodiedness. I have a certain nature. I am infected or broken by sin that God exists outside me, of which I am his creation and the object of his redemption. And if I choose to be the object of his anger and wrath and so on, and all those things exist, too. Yeah. And I am I have to define myself and be myself in relationship to all those things. So if somebody says like, um, well, I feel like this is true and God is for me, right? The answer is okay. But in your reciprocating relationship with other people, the Bible, the church, like what are you finding out? And what you're going to find out is, is that the God's self-revelation outside of you says that's wrong, right? So if I say, if I'm in a marriage that I don't like and I, I meet my soulmate and it's not my wife. It's some other woman, right? And I'm like, I married improvidently. I married young. Right. I shouldn't stay unhappy. I shouldn't keep my wife unhappy. My kids will be fine, blah, blah, blah. And then I sort of convince myself in a way because I've grown more psychologically unsophisticated. I don't realize that my quote, the quote, voice of God inside me is really a version of my own self-will expressing itself inside my own mind. And I go, oh, that's the voice of God, yeah. right? So now the question is, well... What's meant to check that Mm -hmm. as I develop as a person? And the answer is because God gave us his self-revelation in Jesus Christ and in the scriptures and both Jesus Christ and the scriptures define sexual morality. Right. And they say, you're wrong, Nick.
0: Right.
1: That's not how you treat a wife. That's not what love is. Right. And so then I have to then, now I'm in this reciprocating relationship. So then I have to say, wait, is that voice quote, voice of God or that voice of myself inside me that says I should be able to do this. Quote, inauthentic? Well, it might not be inauthentic. It might be a re, a true voice inside of me, but is it one I should listen to? Is it, a, is it a good part of me? Is everything that comes out of me good, right? And the Bible's like, well, no, right? And so then I have to say, okay, well, then I'm not going to go along with this thing inside of me, and I'm going to let this external voice from God define what that is, Or help me see it. Now, what my experience as a Christian is that as God talks to me through his scriptures and I'm interacting with Christ in the church and all these other things, I begin to see that this inner voice inside of me is not is not authentically good, though it's authentically me. But when I find something that's authentically me and not authentically good, I don't want to keep that. I don't want that to be part of me anymore. Right. And so Christianity helps me recognize that not everything that's in me Mm -hmm. is me and I need
0: to keep as part of me. That's not a good enough reason to keep something because it's there. So so I have a question. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So how deep does this go though because it, it, does this does this like lead I wonder, I mean, I'm thinking about like what you're saying about the, uh, th- this, this can become a voice in your head that you believe is your conscience or you believe it's the Holy Spirit. or You believe it's God. And actually what it is just n- another version of yourself that you created that basically tells you what you want to hear. And you think that it's God or you think it's Holy Spirit or your conscience. Do you, um, do you think that, that so, oh, gosh does that lead into like a completely different religion than Christianity? There's people who mm-hmm. believe this wholeheartedly. Like, do, do they, do? are they saved? And like, if they continue in, in that mindset of believing this thing that they created in their head to be the Holy spirit, like if they continue in that, where does that lead to? Does that lead? I mean, is that, does that mean that they're not saved? Uh, that's what I, I mean, it's, yeah. I'm wondering. I mean,
1: yeah. I think that full blown, um, expressive individualism when brought to its fruit is damnable. Like it is a, it is a, mm-hmm. it, it will destroy your being as a person made in the image of God. Like um, it is, it, yeah. it is like really contagious, highly destructive. Like I can't, I can almost can't say enough bad about it. Okay. Um, however, the fact that all of us are on some level expressive individualists, right. Is not in itself damnable. It's there. Right. And what we have to do is recognize it and fight it, you know, right. But it is, it is, it does destroy most of the goods of human life. Sadly, it's like, it's all, it's like, it's, it's another, it's another version of taking something really important and really good and making it and and keeping everything that could be bad about it and getting rid of most of the goods. mm -hmm. It's really sad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, is, is, do you have any other, oh, okay. So do, is there any other definitions that you wanted to go through or did you kind of cover all of them?
1: Yeah. Um, so a a couple, here's a couple other like quotes I think are enlightening, right? So this one's also from Sneed. He says, expressive individualism elevates the principles of autonomy and self-determination above other competing values in the hierarchy of ethical goods. I think that's, that is like the definition when, Autonomy and self determination being expressed towards quote authenticity is, is elevated above other competing values in the hierarchy of ethical goods. So you can be like, well, yeah, I get I should be faithful to my wife, but right. So expressive individualism is basically anytime you're saying, I know, I, I know such and such is important, and I actually, it's one of my values, but I'm going to blank. Because I should be happy or I need to be authentic or Anytime that's the logic, expressive individualism, right? He says, higher than in the hierarchy of ethical goods, such as beneficence, justice, dignity, and equality. When operationalizing law and policy, the focus turns to eliminating obstacles, perhaps even including natural limits that impede the pursuit of the self-defined projects of the will, right? So like this is why expressive individualism has to lead to transhumanism. And to get to transhumanism, it has to go through transgenderism and the queering of human sexuality, right? If you can overcome the most fundamental limitations Mm -hmm. of sex, then ultimately you might be able to overcome the fundamental limitations of being. That we have bodies, for example, and we can upload ourselves to computers and be like disembodied digital selves, right? Or, Or we can like put ourselves into like, like neo-synthetic bodies or something like that. And like, we can like be something different than we are. And that concept of transhumanism is becoming like ever more salient, right? The better our technologies get. So, um, and, but that is driven by this idea of expressive individualism. It's not about the limits. It's about how I can, how I can like overcome limits to exert my will. Right. And on one level, you're kind of like, well, yeah, but Nick, isn't that why we invented science and like indoor plumbing and heating? Like, isn't a lot of that good answers? Yeah, a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that are goods. But there's a difference between God sending us in the world to take dominion in positive ways and taking dominion so that we can rawly express our will so that our will is more important than beneficence, justice, dignity and equality and that we were made for uncalculated giving and gracious receiving in communities of love and friendship, right? Like that's what gets sacrificed in our transhumanism. Okay, so,
0: so have what another are ways too. that we can, yeah, go. I guess go ahead with the quote.
1: So um, Sneed he says this about Bella and Taylor. Persons are conceived merely as atomized individual wills, whose highest flourishing consists in interrogating their interior depths of the self in order to express and freely follow the original truth discovered therein, inside themselves, towards one's self-invested destiny. Do you see how that's like everything about that is the opposite of Christianity, right? You're interrogating the self rather than learning from the scriptures. You are... Like ordering this, you're expressing yourself freely rather than saying, wait, I shouldn't express my sin freely. Like you're, instead of differentiating what to express, you're just expressing yourself freely. The truths are original to yourself. You're discovering them, but you're not discovering them in your nature. You're discovering them within the self. That is, you're not discovering them in something you share with every other human being. You are discovering them within a matrix that is individual and unique to yourself, unlike every other human being. Right. right, And then he says, expressive individualism, yeah. understood in this sense, equates being fully human with finding the unique truth within ourselves and freely constructing our individual lives to reflect it. I think that's Your like nature, really yeah.
0: – It's interesting that they're like, they kind of just completely throw out your nature and they replace that with, I guess what you're saying would be like the self, the self. There's this like thing. What would that even be? I'm trying to like conceptualize it in my head. Like the self would be just like a, like a, what, yeah. What the is that? Just like, well, the the
1: more it's disconnected from developing our nature and understanding ourselves in relationship to our, the image of God, the more unstable the self becomes. And I think you can see this in generations that have been raised on this ideology without them even knowing it. They're experiencing. Instability within themselves. There's much more, right. much more depression. There's, Suicide, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's more suicidality. There's, of course, differences in like identification and gender. There right. is like people identifying as animals or non right. or transhuman. There yeah. are there's incredible dependence on pharmaceuticals for mental health well being. Like yeah. you can go on and on and on. There's, there's like a really low connection of development towards work. Right. There's like there's not a lot of people working towards like long-term friendships, right. And like friendships that are like these interconnections of disappointment and enjoyment, right. Like all these things that like essentially make us human and create a stable self are being lost. And like, so you your average 20 year old who's like a mess. Right. Like if you're listening to this and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is listen, it's one, it's not your fault. It really isn't your fault. I mean, you went along with it in certain ways, but like this was lying to you before you could have even thought about it. But here's the thing. Yeah. Here's what I need to tell you. If that is you though, no one's coming to save you. Right. Our culture is not like in three weeks going to revert to something more sane.
0: Right.
1: You're going to have to go and find a sub community of people, a smaller community of people who believe something else. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you're looking for a church, but not just any church. Yeah. You're looking for a church that essentially lives the opposite of expressive individuals. Yeah. That knows what biblical love is and wants to submit to God and what God tells us we are.
0: I was just thinking it's so interesting that to cure our depression and the mental health and things like that, people will go to the pharmaceutical industry that and and some of that stuff is good. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of times to to cure this expressive individualist one of the side effects of expressive individualism it's almost like we go to another side of ex- effect of expressive individualism and take that to cure what you know what i mean like like mm-hmm. the pharmaceutical industry in a lot of ways is it, there's some really really great things but in some ways there's some not so great things that is just a expression of of this philosophy right that they're. yeah i mean cable- i
1: think i think like any industry right it's there's a great version of it and a bad version of it. And right. I, yeah, I, I think that like, I mean, what a lot of people would, would tell you is they'll say, well, but here's the problem. We just don't have enough counselors and people can't afford good mental health. And so because we don't have enough counselors and we can't afford good mental health. Yes. There's a lot of prescribing of medications because what else are we going to do? Not do anything. Right. Yeah. But my answer to that is, is that's bull crap. The reason why there's not enough counselors is because you've created, you have created a culture that produces an exponential amount of pathology. Yeah. Because it's it's like feeding everybody trans fats and then saying there's not enough people <laughs> here to help with we don't have enough heart disease doctors. Well, right. I mean, yeah, maybe the answer is having so many heart disease doctors that you could deal with this epidemic of heart disease you've created right. by making everybody eat trans fats at every meal. Right, or, just or you could realize you're eating. poisoning everybody. Right, yeah. and you could stop doing it. Right, and yeah. the problem if we are we our culture is creating the pathology that is creating the mental health crisis right. that makes it so we need so many mental health people so we that we don't have and we can't possibly right. afford and so the cheaper alternative to mask yeah. this is to spend money on relatively cheap pharmaceuticals that like even out mental states enough for people to basically function or to just go away right, right? or to die of taking opioids yeah right and i i think that right. it, that is the most right. i think that this is a public this is a class this is an example of expressive individualism making its way into public policy and for public policy and academics to be structured yeah. around a false philosophy that is an idol that stands against God like a mulloch or a bale and that controls all of the thinking of a society, yeah. keeping them utterly enslaved to this idea. Meanwhile, these are like really intelligent scientists. Like we have so many scientists and social scientists and academics that are brilliant right. people. And they're like, well, I'm doing good science. And you're like, yes, but you don't yeah. even realize that your assumptions and the experiments that you make and the things that you're interested in are all controlled by this false idol and so you can't do the good you were made to do and trained to do not in the at in the expansive way you could do it because you're you're hampered by this lie that you don't even know you believe yeah because you've 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 absorbed it more than accepted it but now you really believe it you know and so i think that's really so so sneed basically says the result of this he says the anthropology of expressive individuals that is what you what you think you are as a human, if you believe this philosophy is, you cannot make sense of our fragility, our neediness, and our natural limits. Right? So, like, if you're just, like, if you're made, like, you're, like you're a fragile human being. But wait, I want to express my will in certain ways to do X, Y, Z. But you're like, mm-hmm. but you're too fragile to do it. You can't. Like all the natural limits that we come up against, we see as fundamental injustices rather than part of our nature. And he says, we're still, it cannot offer a coherent, internally consistent account of our obligations to vulnerable others. So if you believe in expressive individualism, how do you determine what your responsibility to your aging father is? What's your responsibility to the child you just discovered is in your womb, right? What's your responsibility to a kid with Down syndrome in your class? Right. Or with Aspergers, right? Hmm. What's your responsibility to those people? And the answer is, well, I don't have one. My, I need to get free of them enough so that they aren't con- causing me to conform or keeping me from expressing myself, right? Right. And so we don't have any use for such people. And we, and why? Because we're expressive individuals. Right. I think those. So are the def- I have a question um,
0: to kind of, yeah. Right. No. Yeah. I I think, I think we have to wrap this up here because we're about an hour, 40 minutes into it. And so I think there's got, there's gotta be some practical, you know, um, applications or takeaways from this podcast. Obviously we're talking about an entire philosophy that, that basically kind of is the umbrella over a lot of, of what our entire culture believes. And so it's, it's, it's a lot to take in all at once. Um, but what, what are some ways that Christians that listen to this, they can start to recognize ways in which they're thinking in, in the expressive individualism terms. And then what are ways that they can start to recognize that? And then what are ways that they can start to combat that? How can we start to actually change our mindsets when we're thinking about, okay, so, you know, let's just say. I mean, just something pops up in the next week where I'm just thinking about whatever. And I, I, I see that my train of thought is starting to go down towards, um, and kind of an expressive train of thought. That's more self-focused than actually, um, other people focused and sacrificial. Mm -hmm. How can I recognize that? Um, and then, you know, what are some, you know, the, the, like trigger words and things like that, like, what, how can I recognize that? And then how can I combat that?
1: Yeah. Um, man, there's so many answers to that question. Um, yeah. One I of them that I, I, I think Jordan Peterson is one of the people who said this the best, and he's not a Christian preacher, obviously. Um, but one of the things he tells people to do to help start to cope with anxiety, but that also helps with this, is to focus on perceiving over rationalizing. So expressive individualism is always in your head thinking about you and thinking thoughts about you, right? Perception is looking out and trying to see what's really there. And so this both helps with your anxiety because it decreases your self-obsession, but also makes you more oriented on others, which is see things outside of yourself. Start paying attention. Yeah. Instead of paying more attention to your inner life, start paying more attention to what's outside of your head and heart. Look at other people. Listen to them. Try to figure out what it's like to be them. Where did they come from? Where are they going? Why are they wearing those shoes? What's going on with that thing? Why is look at the weather today. Watch that tree actually sway back and forth. like like see the like wave based undulation of the you know like exp, actually live because one of the things expressive individualism does is it ruins your joy by so bringing you inside a small little circle inside yourself that your world is so small it can't fill your heart with wonder. Good. And so you'll be, you're unhappy in the like in the constant twirling around in your own obsessiveness, right? Which is the definition of hell in the um, way to, yeah. if you read Lewis's book, um, what's the one about hell? Yeah. Um, the Great Divorce. The, he has a chapter where he talks about, about what, what hell divorce. is, yeah. yeah, what hell is probably like. And it's people get further and further away from each other and more and more circular within the anger they have in their own minds about how they were wronged. Right. And that's hell. Now that's not literally hell, like according to Christian belief, but that is like self-destruction, the the damnation of self-destruction, mentally speaking, it is mental damnation. Right. And so like observing others, like, like paying attention to what's going on outside of you and really learning to focus your attention on that Mm -hmm. begins to free you from that. Right. And begins to create the opportunity for love. I think also, um, Beginning to read scripture and interact with Christians expecting to be confronted in yourself is incredibly important. And to realize that many of the things inside of you, God says, are part of this thing called the flesh or indwelling sin, which is horrible. And that has to actually be killed, not encouraged. So in Philippians 2, Paul says to the Christians, he says, listen, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but consider others as more important than yourselves. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about Jesus, right? And both of those are internal things, right? Selfish ambition and conceit about myself, my standing based on my vanity. So what I want to accomplish and get for myself and the status I give myself relative to me being better than other people, those are both internal desired self-expressions of myself that Paul's like, those are disgusting. They're terrible. And so the, yeah. Perhaps the Christian concept most opposite of expressive individualism, besides love, is humility.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, and right. through humility, you can see these things, and you can also perceive what God is like. So, like, th- those are all really big things, right. right? Um, I so I think so. I think two of the biggest things. Can I just, bring up
0: one? Yeah. Um, I'll bring up one that. uh, one thing that I mean, younger people could do tomorrow morning. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm going to be speaking at Men's Breakfast at High Point um, in Madison, and the thing that I'm going to talk about is just intergenerational discipleship and how that's been impactful in my life. I think this kind of goes to what you were saying, though. Um, if you're young like I think you should just go find somebody in the church to disciple you and mentor you and get involved and 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 listen to them and try to Lit and and even though you might think that you know everything about everything like try, try just to do one thing that they tell you to do and see if it works i mean things like that mm-hmm. like it, it, like you're saying about humility you kind of i feel like you kind of just come to a point where you're like all right i don't think that any of these things that these old people are saying i don't think that any of them are going to work but i'll try mm-hmm. a couple of them i found that like i had a very difficult time listening to basically anybody ever but uh you know, when I got to the point in my head where I was like, okay, I'm just going to try a couple of these things. They actually work. Just go into the, like, try to develop a relationship with somebody that's older than you, um, who is godly, and try, and and then try to figure out why they're godly. And I think do some of the things that they tell you to do. Don't just, uh, don't just use them up, I guess, just to have somebody there to, like be with you or something. I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. that's important too, but right. I think that actually th- submitting in some ways to an older person.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that's really important to see is that if you fall into expressive individualism, then the only purpose of having people outside of you talk to you is to affirm you. Because what you're doing is you're finding the authentic self inside of you and expressing it. And it's inherently good. Right. And so yeah. what, the only thing you really need from the right. outside is affirmation. The problem is, is that if all you need is affirmation, all you're getting is confirmation. But like, but that is literally the opposite right. of the developmental principle. You can't grow, right? And so this is one of the reasons why expressive individualism stunts people's growth personally and increases their insecurity dramatically, and tends to make people who are very anxious yeah. and then ultimately depressed. And so yeah. you think it'll lead to your happiness, but it leads to the right. opposite. right? Um, I think that's really important, right. I, I also think that like that's how you figure out. So like paying attention to somebody else and listening to it, like a a person who's older, has more experience and being like, well, why do I listen to that person? Well, because they know things you don't know that you need, right? That are already inside of you, right? You have to already start to disbelieve some of the ideas of expressive individualism, right? I think you also need to realize that this philosophy is... Yeah, you have to
0: believe that we live in an objective world. We live in like a... In a natural world. And so, you know, that doesn't change when you're born. You don't get to decide what that world is. And so the older person who's lived here for 50 years, they have they know what that world is like. And so that's why, yeah. um, that's why they can actually give you wisdom.
1: Yeah. Another like psychological example here, Jordan Peterson's kind of made this famous in his book, 12 Rules for Life, is – He'd say he'd say people come to my practice like anxious and like depressed and so on. He's like the first thing I do is I find out when they wake up in the morning, and then I find out whether or not they eat a good breakfast. Yeah, and like and so he starts to and now. Right. Now what is now in some ways like oh that's brilliant. You know that's brilliant. He's like in a lot of people that's enough to get them functioning pretty well again. <laughs> like we still do therapy, but like if they just get up at the same time every day and they eat a good breakfast, like and what's the point there? Well, the point is what Carter Snead talked about: embodiedness, right? Like if you stay up until 4am playing video games and then you just wait, like what you're doing is you're denying the nature of your physical body. You're not recognizing that like your body has circadian rhythms and it needs a certain amount of sleep. And that's how it processes memory. And you need to have certain amount of food in you to like help you function your best and like, but instead what people do is they eat crappy food. They make up for it by drinking coffee. They like medicate their, like they learn how to do romance by drinking alcohol. They deal with the depression by taking drugs. And all of that is transhumanism. You're saying like, basically my body is, is constraining me. So I'm going to transcend my body by yeah. doing whatever I want, eating whatever I want, taking whatever drugs I want, doing whatever I want. And that is, that basically is a denial of reality. What you start with is I am a body, right? Like I am a psychosomatic unity right. of spirit and body. And the body is as fundamental as anything else. And I, therefore, in some sense am a body. Therefore, how, how am I going to order my life? Well, first I'm going to, do what a, a body has to do. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to eat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to go outside and be in the sunlight. I'm going to, right? And in some ways, like, I'm going to learn to stand up straight. Right. I'm going to smile at people and give people my cheerfulness, mm-hmm. not realizing that when I do that, that musculature sends a signal to my nervous system that I am happy and I feel happier, right? Mm-hmm. That, like, and this gets back to, mm-hmm. When we discover our nature, we we do the right things for the right reasons based on our nature. It forms us as selves and it has positive feedback to ourselves. And it, it, gives us all these positive right. dividends. The more we get involved in this, quote, the self, our inner self, the more against our self we behave, the more against our nature we behave, the more against our body we behave, the more right. against our relationships we behave, the more against our embeddedness we behave and so on. And we become less of a self, more obsessed, smaller and more broken. And so like the, it's, this is the classic, like so, there are some things you yeah. don't pursue. There are some things you get by pursuing something else. Mm-hmm. And the self is one of them which is kind of ironic. Right. Happiness is one of them. Right?
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay, so I got a question about um uh I guess we got to wrap this up because we're we're about <laughs> I think we're almost 2 hours in. Um so can you can you give a... I mean, those are some applications and some ways of thinking about this. What what are actual resources and books? I know you have a lot of books. Um, there's one that you and I are both reading right now that we're going to talk about at some point. I know there's a whole list of books that you want to start doing some book reviews on and things like that. So um, give people some some resources, some books, some... I don't know, maybe if you know any like... Documentaries or anything to watch on this to to even more fully understand it because you're you're obviously not going to understand all of expressive individualism or what it means in in one podcast but there are some really good books I mean that explain yep. these things explain this very well so uh, what are some resources. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so um, the book you and I are reading is The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to the Sexual Revolution by Carl Truman. Now, that's a 300-something page book. It's pretty Mm -hmm. involved, but it's also pretty comprehensive, right? So that's a good one. Um, Really good. How Not to Be Secular by James K. Smith, reading Charles Taylor is the subtitle, um, also covers a lot of this stuff. But it's focusing on expressive individualism, but it's focusing on that within – secularism like what is secularism and how does it produce these other philosophies one of them being expressive individualism um, not to be too self-promoting here but my book substance mm-hmm. about worldliness is you is using the language of worldliness but it, this is what it's getting at and the first two chapters of that book are about that and the rest of the chapters yeah. are about how to how to deal with it so like my I'm going to say my most popular book. I mean, it's still not popular by New York Times standards, but like the book that we've sold the most copies of, that we've got the most feedback that was helpful was that book, Substance. And people are, because the first two chapters are this is the problem. Mm-hmm. The next eight are, and here's what to do about it. So I, in my mm-hmm. view, Substance is one of the best books out there for like right. what to do within a Christian spiritual framework. Right. Um, there's a bunch of other books. Yeah. Um, the, there's uh, The Failure of Nerve by, Tom, by, by Edwin Friedman covers a lot of this from the perspectives of family systems therapy and how we lose our nerve and become empty selves. And it it creates anxiety as everybody's anxiety comes onto us and we lose our capacity for growth and expansion. And, um, so that book, the failure of nerve by Edwin Friedman, I love that book. It's extremely poorly written because he died and they just like put his lectures together. And so it's like repetitive and cyclical, but like some of the content there is really fantastic. It's one of my, it's probably my favorite leadership book. Um, Yeah. Those are a few, but substance um, by Nick Gibson is, a, yeah, is the what, one you, what should, about, you should buy and write incredible reviews for it. And like, but you should buy it by like 50 copies yeah. and just give them to your friends.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. That's what, the, yeah. This, this podcast is sponsored by substance by Nick yeah. Gibson. Um, th- What about Chris? Uh, Maybe I'm thinking wrongly here, but what about uh Christianity and liberalism? By Beachin.
1: Yeah. I mean, like there's, there's so many books from like 1880 to the present that are about this, some form of this. Right. And I think you and I are going to talk about that book at some point because it's one of Machen's greatest works. And he's one of the greatest of the, what was called the fundamentalists, but they were really the, the pre evangelical folks. So they would have, they would have been evangelicals today, Uh, but they were called fundamentalists then because that was what you called everybody who wasn't a quote, liberal, a modernist in that sense. Um. Yeah. So yeah, Machen is talking right. about this happening in education in churches and in in how it's affecting Christian theology. Right. Right. That but but that yeah. in some ways that is secularism and scientism changing Christianity, but it would ultimately result in expressive individualism taking over churches. Expressive individualism. Yeah. Right. Which is why liberal yeah. churches, like if you go by a liberal church, what right. are you gonna see? You're gonna see the LGBT flag. Why? Because LGBT rights are the most important thing. Well, what LGBT rights? And the answer, is it like just human rights? Like they have the right to life, liberty and happy, happiness or the pursuit of happiness. No, it's additional rights about affirmation and self-expression. Right. Because of the internal feeling of this sexual orientation, this idea invented by Freud. Right. Well, why is that fundamental to Christian faith for liberal churches? It's because they believe in expressive individualism.
0: Right.
1: Because they believe being loving towards another person. What is love? well, they've redefined it in modernist yeah. categories as helping people be whatever they want to be. Right. And if a certain group of people say, this is what I want to be yeah. acknowledge and affirm it, they go, okay, because we're here to love. Right. So by redefining a misunderstanding, love right. and misunderstanding anthropology and human beings and Jesus Christ, right. By redefining all that, as Machen says, into a new religion, then this new view of love leads to a new view of affirmation which then means makes the most important public statement of liberal churches flying the gay flag, right? The LGBTQ pride flag.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a ton there, but we have to wrap this up. Um, Before we say goodbye, tell everybody what your shirt says. I I can't read the bottom of it. Um, You are the bacon to my eggs. Yeah, I
1: found it at the dig and save, so oh, I paid for it by the pound. But it's like you know, it's like that soft cotton, and it says "US eggs to my eggs," and I, I, it's for my wife.
0: Yeah. D, dig and save to me is one of the most disgusting places I've ever heard of in my life. I won't go there. People say that it's like wet at the bottom of the bins, and it's that's and it's not just, true.
1: You know, it's it's a beautiful place it's because not true. no, in in like when I live in Madison and there's just a lot of sno- snootiness here and those aren't the people that go to the Dickens yeah. So when you go to the Dickensave and, and you're digging through bins no, next sure. to people, those are like the solid of the earth people. Like those are the grapes of wrath people of today. And like, I <laughs> like being around those people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, and, and it's not yeah. just one class of people. Like it'll, you'll have a college student on this side. You'll have a, like a middle-class mom, finding clothes to sell yeah. on eBay and then you'll have like a homeless guy and the homeless guy's like, Hey, this looks pretty good for your website. Gives okay. it to the mom selling stuff on eBay and like people are trading stuff and holding up silly right. shirts. And it's, I think it's yeah. great fun. My girls, my older girls Very go funny. there just for fun. Now. Okay, <laughs> They take friends cause they're like, you got to experience this. Really? Yeah. Now I, if I'm going to be there more than 30 Gosh, minutes, sometimes I, I, wear a, I wear a mask because of the allergens in there. Um, but I love it. I love that place. I got some yeah. of my favorite clothes there. I always tell my girls, go to the dig and save, get whatever you can there, and then spend your money on other clothes. So now if I, if I spend $160 on a right. pair of wool pants, that's exactly what I wanted that I'm going to have the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I, I did that is because I got nine shirts at the dig and save for $2 and right. 47 cents. So like I spent less on my wardrobe than yeah. you did, but some of the pieces of my wardrobe are really awesome pieces of clothes. Anyway, that's just a different philosophy on life, I guess. So I have certain
0: experiences. It's expressive individualism that you're, you're just living out. You're, no. you're expressing no. whatever I'm, you want. No,
1: I'm profiting from people's expressive individualism because they believe they deserve new clothes. And they're pleasing themselves by buying all these new clothes that they don't need. And then they give all these clothes that are perfectly fine to goodwill, which end up at the dig and save. And I buy them for a dollar a pound because they just have to have these new clothes that don't matter. But they think they matter because they think the clothes are expression of their inner self and they deserve it. Right. So you got to find some ways to profit from terrible philosophies.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that, uh, like goodwill is already the place where you send things that you don't want if if goodwill is sending things somewhere, then you know that that stuff sucks, so that would i mean except that goodwill has gotten greedy and is overcharging
1: for its clothing like you go to goodwill now and they're like you find really? a nice shirt it's sixteen dollars yeah, like closer closer like five seven eight ten fifteen dollars like if you find something nice at goodwill. It's like half of its original price. It's it, it's almost becoming a consignment shop. Like yeah. when I was a kid, you went, you paid 25 cents for a piece yeah. of clothing because Goodwill Shops were for homeless people or for poor people. Now it's a way yeah. higher end people right. buy secondhand clothing so that they can raise money to spend on poor people programs. So they become consignment shops rather than yeah. places where poor people can get clothes. Where do the poor people go? The dig and save. Because yeah. – and so because they overcharge yeah. at, at these stores, perfectly good clothing ends up at the Dickinson, where I get it.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm i still wearing clothes from high school, so I usually uh, – I don't need to go to – I don't need to get any new clothes yet. But I, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure Andrew will get frustrated with my wardrobe yeah. sooner or later. But it, I mean um,
1: like if you work with your hands, like if you do any kind of dirty jobs, I mean why not get clothes there? Like, Yeah. You know, I get, I get all my like tree service, all the stuff I do for trees. I mean, that tears up clothes really fast. And so I just buy cheap crap at the Dickinson.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Most of it's fluorescent colored
1: because I, you know, you, you have to wear high vis clothing. It's a great place to get it.
0: Makes a flamboyant person yeah um so we we'll, we'll we'll finish this so we're at two hours all right so um this will also not be the, the the last time that people hear about expressive individualism we'll talk about it more What we've got some a lot of things coming up here nick um you're going to be gone for like six weeks i don't are you going to be on any more podcasts for the next six weeks or are we Am i are we'll see i will probably later? you
1: know i'll be spending a lot of time reading and spending time on my own so i'll have some stuff in my craw and we might be able to put it on an episode or two So we'll see. But yeah, my church granted me four weeks of rest leave for like all the crazy work I did during the, uh, during COVID. I mean, working like just so many hours to get basic things done. Um, and so we decided that there were three staff members who hadn't gotten any kind of rest that we wanted to give, uh, four weeks of additional vacation to, to just go rest. And so I'll be doing that. It's going to be like, kind of like a mini sabbatical for me. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. And then I'm going on a vacation with my family here coming up. Where to? We're doing the inside passage cruise to Alaska, which sounds like, which is not the vacation any of us would pick other than my 84 year old mom. It's the only way she can go to Alaska with us, you know? Yeah. So we're, and she put up all the money for it. So we're doing this cruise and we're going to experience some of Alaska that way. If it was me, I would have flown into like Fair Anchorage or something like that and gotten a four wheel drive vehicle and gone out to the mountains. But my 84 year old mom can't do that.
0: You know, she can't. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, um, well, I guess, yeah, I guess if you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, share this with your friends. Give us a five star rating. Re- give us a review. Um, I think that's all the things that they should do. Go to OptiveNetwork.com for and a lot And buy cool cases um, of substance. Buy cases by of Nick substance. <laughs> buy Nick Gibson. Um, and then if you have any trees that you want cut, cut down, simple trees, uh, subsidiary of gibson enterprises um yeah. which is, which sponsors this podcast so thanks for listening and uh we'll see you guys in the next one goodbye